Well, I am happy to welcome Christ Journey family back together as we meet on this good Sunday morning to worship Him. And wherever you're making your connection, our prayer of blessing is with you and for you. And I want to begin today, as I have in time past, with a remembrance of prayer. This is a good day, but it's a good day for us to seek God in the way that He has invited us to. This is a, an historic time in our nation and a time that I want to remember before you and before the Lord his promise that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will bless and heal their land, forgive their sins and heal their land. So I want to begin on my knees in prayer to God, and I invite you to join me if you'd like. Gracious God, we humble ourselves before you today, so thankful for the gift of life, for the gift of health and strength, and we pray that for every person under the sound of our voice right now who's joining us in worship, may they sense your presence, know your blessing, and heed your call right now as we bow in prayer. We are humbling ourselves, Lord. We are turning ourselves from our way to seek your way. We are pleading for forgiveness of our sin and healing for our land. And we also pray, Lord, that these moments we share right now, that you would make this a place where shame meets grace and new beginnings come. As we make our prayer in your name, amen. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity of joining in prayer together across uh, digital technology. How amazing is that? And all of our loved ones, family and friends at Kindle, shout out. Gables, love you. Thank you to everybody who's joining us online today and praying blessing for you. Now, you know what tasting stands are, right? Like when you're at your favorite grocery store and you go down an aisle and you get to taste something before you actually have to buy it, you can taste it and see what you think about it. Did you know that the Bible also has a taste test, invites us to take a taste test? Psalm 34, verse 8, oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Taste and see, the Lord is good. Did you know you can sing that to the tune, Joy to the World, the Lord has come? In fact, I'm going to ask us to do it, but I'm going to get a little help from our vocalist, so I'm going to invite the vocalist to come back out, and uh, then I'm going to pick a key, and I'm going to invite everybody to join us. Wherever you're joining us, in your living room alone, in front of a computer, Kindle Campus, Gables Campus, here we go. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Yeah, that's exactly what I want us to do, but we're going to do it again. Ready? You guys ready? Okay. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Look at you. Okay, now we're going to do it one more time, but this time when we hit good, I want you to harmonize. I mean, find a part, pick a part. You guys got one? Okay, here we go. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Whoa, that was nice. Thank you all very much. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for joining us in this. I wanted us to sense something of the goodness to tease our hearing. But you know, the Old Testament isn't the only invitation God gave to taste and see he's good. In the New Testament, the angel at the 
empty tomb, when the women showed up, said this to them, Jesus, who was crucified, is now risen. Don't be afraid. Come and see. That's a New Testament invitation to check it out for yourself, to come on and get a taste for what resurrection life could mean to you. Now, this is important to us as Christ followers because faith is not a dogma you swallow. It is a living Savior that you follow, that you experience, that you taste for yourself. Now, some people live as if there's no God. Other people because of the mess the world is in, believe that if there is a God, surely couldn't be good because he's somehow responsible for the mess we're in. And so believers like us, sometimes when we talk about the Lord is good, people think that we've got blinders on. When what the scripture says is, no, it's not that we're blind to the reality around us, it's that our eyes are being opened wider to the goodness of God. For instance, you open your Bible to the first words of the first page, and it says, in the beginning, God. And then the next thing we find out is that God made heaven and earth, that he's powerful, and he gives the world to his two image bearers. Of course, he looks at his work, and he says what? It is good. And then he creates male and female and says, I'm giving you the world. And then it says he backs off and he sees everything that he had made, Genesis 1.31. And what did he say? It is very good. God is a good God who creates good things. And think about this. The same life-giving goodness that is part of God's essential holiness is one and the, at the same time a threat to all that is not good, to all that brings death. We learned that early in the scripture as well, what the Bible calls sin. And good, holy God to sin is like a lit match to paper. God's goodness and God's holiness is like fire, and sin makes us vulnerable, makes people vulnerable like paper to fire. Paper perishes in the presence of fire. And so, but listen carefully though, it's not our humanity that separates us from God. It's our human sin that does it. And so this little illustration is trying to give us a framework for understanding a little bit of God's problem with human sin. Here's problem, here's God's dilemma. God absolutely loves human beings. God loves his creation. It is good. It is very good. And then sin enters in, and God in his essence is holy, pure goodness. Light in whom there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is so good that it is impossible to corrupt his goodness. He is so good. He is so full of love. God is love, John says, that of all that is, Jesus says this, Luke chapter 18, verse 19, why do you call me good? He says, only God is truly good. No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus is not denying his own goodness or his own godness in that statement. What he's doing is inviting us into an accurate framework from which to think about authentic goodness. What it means for something to be truly good is to set a boundary around it 
to understand that it is intrinsically good, that it is good through and through, to the core, no mixture of evil. So James, one of the other apostles, says this, God cannot be tempted with evil. He tempts no one because he's so good. With, uh, with God, there is no degree or gradation of goodness. Maybe you're wearing a gold ring right now. Maybe it's 22 carats. You know what 22 carats means? It's 22 parts gold, and it's two parts other metal alloy. If it's 18 karat gold, you got an 18 karat gold necklace on. It's 18 parts pure gold, and then it's six parts some other metal alloy. It, this, James is saying God is like 24 karat gold. He's pure all the way. Absolutely pure. But unlike gold, he is also durable. He is also strong. He is also, he's like, like platinum. That with God, there's no shadow of turning. There's no mixture of error. That God is solid. God is trustworthy. God is steadfast. So when James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, it's because God is so good, he doesn't know how to give gifts that are not good gifts. Perfect gifts from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness and there's no shadow of turning. Now, ironically, what the goodness that makes God so attractive, so appealing, so kind, so patient, so loving, so um, desirable to us, his character as good also makes him a destroying force. Stay with me on this. A destroying force to all that is not good, to all sin. This is the Bible story. That all that is morally or spiritually opposed to that which gives life, to that which is good, and that's the reason that the Bible tells us that our God is a consuming fire. Have you read that? Have you heard that? Have you ever been confused about that? What does that mean? Hebrews 12, 29. Well, Scripture records how God revealed himself through fire. You read the story of the Bible, you'll see that God is powerful yet fearsome. Sometimes people don't want to go around him. So when he appears to Moses, it's a bush that is burning. It's on fire, but it's not being burned up. And then later when he's on Mount Sinai and he is receiving the Ten Commandments, the scripture says that the Lord descended, the mountain was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And then when God is leading his people through the wilderness, out of Egypt, into the promised land, it says that this pillar of fire was with them over the tabernacle. Some years later, when Solomon finishes building the temple and they're making their offering of sacrifice, that it was received with fire that came from God, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And then when Elijah is on the mountain and challenging the prophets of Baal, the false gods of their day, the sex gods of their day, he says, let the God that answers by fire show himself to be the true God. And of course he did. God answered in fire. Then in the New Testament, you know, the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and, and as Jesus is walking with them, they don't recognize him, but they say to one another, didn't our hearts burn inside us as he talked to us from Scripture about himself, about Jesus Christ? And then after Christ rose, he said, he told his disciples, now you go wait in the upper room, and then he ascended, and that's where they went. But in the upper room, as they prayed and waited, 
the Holy Spirit came upon them in what? It said it looked like tongues of fire on each one there. What's the lesson that we're supposed to take from this? God's fiery goodness is the way that he has revealed himself, and when he does, it consumes evil, even as fire warms and illumines and purifies, it destroys sin. So here's God's problem. God, in his essence, is pure, good, holiness, which to sin is like fire. And you put me in the presence of of God's holiness, and I'm going to burn up because I'm riddled sin inside of me, sin in my life, in my soul, in my nature, by circumstance, by choice. Where sin shows up, God's holiness burns it up. And you know what? I'm not always aware of where it is in my life either. Perhaps you can relate to me, but what the scripture tells us is that it's kind of like cancer, that you can have it without even realizing it. And it starts devouring things inside of you that uh, don't belong there. And so what does God do with our sin? He becomes a human being in Jesus of Nazareth. That's what Christmas celebrates. We just came through that season. But without sin... God's holy seed has come to life through Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. This is different from me. From birth, he's different from me. And then in Matthew chapter 1, he tells Joseph, her betrothed, the same thing. What is conceived in her, your fiancé, is from the Holy Spirit. That means absolutely pure good. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God's holiness is going to do something to take care of our sin problem in Jesus Christ. God's got a plan to make holiness and goodness present in humanity in such a way that sin will be consumed without damaging the ones God loves in the process. Are you still with me? You following on this? Through Jesus, the holy God-man, purely good, people will be saved, not consumed in God's presence. So what a mystery and what a miracle. As in redeeming grace, God does the very good thing through and through the holy thing in bringing Jesus to us. But baby Jesus doesn't stay baby Jesus born to save. Jesus grows up into a very challenging, hard, cruel adult world with temptation on every side and an evil presence that's trying to trip him up regularly. And as he faces temptation, the gospel stories tell us how at every turn where he faces it, he not only faces it, but he overcomes it. The writer of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. His holiness was put to the test, but never compromised. Now, he was accused of violating traditions of ceremonial religious norms, like helping people on the Sabbath, got in trouble for that, not washing his hands like he was supposed to in their religious tradition, uh, not following certain ceremonial practices. But he never sinned. 
He was accused of eating with sinners, but he never sinned. He never used his God power for goodness to serve himself. Instead, here's what the apostles say, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing what? Good. Because God's goodness was in him, so it gets out through him. And then all who were under the power, he was healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him, and he went around doing good. That simply means philanthropic acts. Jesus' habit in life was to share powerful deeds that benefited other people. Jesus lived bestowing benefits on others, acts of grace, acts of kindness, powerful acts of goodness. So humanity is not at risk from God's holiness. Sin is. And that's why, I mean, the devil is. Demons are. That's why when you're reading along in the Gospels and it says the demons start talking when Jesus walks up, they realize, (laughs) oh, here comes the holiness and we're going to get consumed out of here. So what does that have to do with you? Well, how about this? It means that God can apply his holiness against sin in your life that is seeking to take you out, take you captive, hurt you, and take you down. He can bring his holy goodness to your life without damaging you. This is like proton therapy. At the Miami Cancer Institute, they have some huge state-of-the-art proton therapy devices. Proton therapy has the capacity to deliver precise high-dose radiation that can slice away the cancer with, with very minimal damage to human tissue, to healthy tissue. And that's what God has done for us in Christ. He can free you through the forgiving grace of Jesus and then fill us with his holy spirit of goodness in ways that empower us to be of help to others. God's spirit in us bears the fruit of goodness. He forgives us our sins. He fills us with his spirit. And the next thing you know, that old toxic, dead-in-sin self-life is now cut through and, um, I want to say dismembered. Actually, Christ's body broken on the cross was when the body of sin was broken inside of us. And so now I can be free from self and free from sin, which is what Paul wrote about in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. What that means is God has put the the proton therapy on my lower sin nature, my devil self, and then, but nevertheless, I live. But look, I'm, I'm in good shape. How does this happen? It's a miracle of by grace as God's spirit comes alive in you, and then goodness starts showing up through you. His fruit is born through you. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's the next word? Let's all say it together. Goodness. Oh my goodness. Exactly. That's what God wants to bring to our lives is more of his goodness, his core character, essential holiness, and then gentleness and self-control. The fire of the Spirit in you consumes the toxicity of selfish sinfulness and then replaces it with his gracious goodness through faith. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. I'm, almost, I'm closing in on it right now. God is up to something marvelous that could impact your life for good 
this new year. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. That means not from our damaged by sin, toxic, sin devil self. But it's a gift from holy and good God. And it is a good and perfect gift of salvation. And then he goes on to say, not by works so that no one can boast. That means none of us are good enough, strong enough, smart enough to help save ourselves. We don't earn our salvation. But God in Christ has given it to us as a free gift as we receive it by grace through faith. Now, many of us, maybe you, you're already saying, Pastor, I already know that. So what? Okay, so verse 10. So we are God's handiwork which means that right now you are God's masterpiece and his Holy Spirit is developing the artistic representation of Christ in you and that the good work our good God is doing is happening even as we speak, as we yield to him, like a canvas yielding to, uh, to the colors of the painter. We are created in Christ Jesus. You know what comes next? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, when that's taking place, when your life is being, is under construction like that, it can sometimes feel like you're being forged by fire. But that's precisely what this series is about. It's a series of worship where... A life of worship means that we are under construction as God's fire gives shape to goodness in us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, tells us about the quality of sacrifice that we now bring. We've already, well, let's, let's just read this verse together. Wherever you are, take a breath. Let's speak so as to be heard. Here we go. Do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, we've said every week so far that animal sacrifices were made in pagan ritual and in Jewish worship, but that the believers in Jesus, from the beginning of his gift of life on the cross, did not ever make animal sacrifices in their worship. But they still used the temple language of sacrifice to say, Lord, our lives our lives will be a living sacrifice we give you. And then last week we studied and saw that how the fruit of our lips in praise can be a sacrifice we bring. And then now we just learned that good, doing good and sharing to meet need is a sacrifice that pleases God. So when we do good, God receives it as an act of worship. There are two words translated worship in the New Testament. Both of them show up when Jesus was overcoming the evil one in Matthew chapter 4. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first word here that's translated worship simply means to bow down. It means be on your knees in honest, available submission to the greatness of your God. And then the second one means when it means accomplish a task by applying your skills to it. So Jesus said, here's what True worship looks like. It looks like bowing down before the living God and then rising up to put your arm and your strength and your mind to work to do good, to make a difference in the world. 
We are God's masterpiece, and as we yield to his work in us, then we rise to let him fulfill the good things that he planned in advance for us from long ago. Good works as a way of life. That's what Paul's talking about, filled with the glory of God. So he writes in another letter, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a call to worship through giving thanks. There's the sacrifice of praise, but then also the sacrifice of good works, that we live our lives to do good for others. Imagine your whole life filled with an overflowing and growing presence of God's glory in whatever you did. That's what he's inviting us to imagine. Through goodness, what would that look like? Now remember, good works are part of the salvation train, but they're not the engine. Jesus is the engine, his finished work of salvation. But the cars and the caboose follow modeling after the engine a life of good works. So what would that look like? Well, I've got three suggestions that come to mind in my reflection. The first one is that we would show courtesy. Show common courtesy. Um, in the way we treat other people. We use words to communicate. But the New Testament says, let's use words to communicate respect and appreciation and so if somebody were to ask you, what does it mean to use your manners? You'd probably say, well, it means I say, please, thank you, excuse me, I'm sorry. You know, words like that, courtesy, court. Actually, courtesy, good manners elevate the conversation to another level. And the level of which, to which we're elevating is right there in the word itself, court, the level of the court. To be made in the image of God means that you are of royal descent, and to treat other people with respect and courtesy means that you are treating them with the language of the court, C-O-U-R-T. And then taking the conversation to a new level. And so scripture challenges us. Don't lie. Avoid put-downs. Stay away from slander. Don't give in to gossip. Ephesians 4, if you need a text to help you there, look at this. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we communicate value and respect and appreciation in our words. Uh, as I was speaking in the last, uh, in the last worship experience, uh, the thought of William Wilberforce came to mind. He was a member of British Parliament back in the day when slave trade was fully active and God did something in his spirit that started changing his life and so gave him a clearer focus on what is his life for. And he dedicated it to doing good. But here's what he said. He said, um, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Now, Wilberforce is greatly credited with the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. But then he said, but I want to help people be have better manners too. I always thought, well, that's strange, until you back up and see that it's birthed out of the goodness of God that says every person is worthy of respect and appreciation. And so we do right because God is good as believers. I'm reminded of uh, something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the time is always right to do what's right. 
So we show courtesy. And then the second thing is uh, we offer quality work. Do quality work. When we do our best, it says people matter. And so we, we, we are honest. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We seek to provide a, a good value for a quality product. That's what this means. Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do, yeah, whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And he says, that's worship. So all of your life, your speaking life, your working life can be under the umbrella of God's glory as his goodness is seen through you. Third, bear witness through acts that help meet human need. Here's what Jesus said. Let your light shine, your good deeds shine out so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Matthew 5, 16. So believers, here's my summary. When you're courteous to others, when you pursue excellence on the job and do your best, and when you seek to offer good deeds that help meet human need, you're actually worshiping. Am I wrong? Or did you see that too? That worship isn't something that just happens when you manage to get inside a building and sing some songs. That worship is the way we live our lives. We present our lives to God, then we offer our attitude so that our mouths can communicate his goodness, and then, you know what, it starts showing up in the way we behave. Especially, it's an act of worship when others don't deserve it, and when they can't deserve it, just like we learned. It's not by works. <laughs> we don't, we're, we're on a different page here than the world is. The world is sick, and Jesus wants us to be like white blood cells in this sick body as a healing force that fights infection and disease and restores health. Or another way Paul said it, Romans 12, 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. How? With what? Good? Are you kidding me? Good. We sometimes think good is weak. It's because we don't understand the power of holiness unleashed in pure goodness. This is different from the way the world. There is power to overcome in good. There is power to heal in good. If you feel like you're being overcome by evil, then this is a verse for you. This is the talk for you. This is the act of worship for you. To say, Holy Spirit, do some good in me. I know you're already at work, and now I want you to show me how to let you do good through me. This is very different from the world that says quid pro quo, right? I mean, you scratch mine, I'll scratch yours. That's the way the, word, the world works. The world of karma, where it's all about payback. This is different. This is different from that. This isn't just a... Uh, um, well, try your best in your sinful self and see how it goes. No, this is very different from that. So if you're listening with your heart, would you please ask the Holy Spirit to give you, open your eyes wider to the power of goodness. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to get it wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't mess up along the way. All of God's leaders have character flaws. You'll see it in Bible stories. Noah had a drinking problem. God used him to save the whole world. Remember that story? But he had a drinking problem. Might want to read it again if you want to find it. Abraham, the father of the faithful, through which God was going to bring Messiah into the world, Abraham had trouble telling the truth. More than once he was on record lying in public on purpose. Abraham. 
Sarah, his wife, God had made her a powerful promise. She just couldn't believe it. She doubted it. She doubted it out loud. She laughed at it. She struggled with doubt. God used her to deliver the promise anyway. Rebecca, beautiful Rebecca, so much going for her, but she's a manipulator. She schemed with one of her sons to deceive his father so that he could steal something. God's people today are not exempt. God's people always have blind spots. God's people deal with what I'm talking about. And the New Testament teaches we're not fully freed from humanity's toxic, fallen, sin devil nature until we see Jesus. Right now, we are justified. Our sins are forgiven by his blood. We are being sanctified. His Holy Spirit fire is at work within us to make us more like Jesus. And one day when Jesus returns or we die and go to be with him, we're going to be glorified in his presence, which means finally freed from the anchor, this deadweight anchor of our lower natures. Free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. But until then, by his spirit, we are empowered to rise above it, if we will. How? By doing good. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil by doing good. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. We're flawed, but we're still following. And as we follow, he forges us by fire and gives shape to something good. Now, if I were to say Cape Canaveral, what would come to mind for you? Cape Canaveral, what comes to mind? Florida's Space Coast, NASA's location of choice for America's gateway to the stars, right? Cape Canaveral was uh, built originally as a rocket, so a rocket launch site. Do you know how many launches have taken, taken off and been launched from Cape Canaveral since it was first built? 3,100 and counting still. 135 space shuttle missions completed, five different vessels in that sequence as well. Cape Canaveral wasn't just built for itself. This is my point. It was built as a launch pad that when functioning well would give liftoff to take life to a new elevation. You following with me here? It wasn't just built for itself. It was built to impact others. And so likewise with believers, what God is building in your life isn't just about you, only for you. It's great, and you can say, oh, hey, look at my pad. <laughs> but, but the Holy Spirit wants to say, and it's a launch pad. And what God has in mind is for the good things he does in you to be launched through you and beyond you into a world that is in desperate need. We certainly can relate to that these days. Your life as a Cape Canaveral that God's fire can ignite and then transform and then launch something to push us through the law of the gravity of sin to a higher law and take us to a new elevation. One final thought from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says this, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb Agree to serve. You only need a heart of grace and a soul generated by love. And friends, that's what God's fire is trying to forge in us as his people. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, thank you for the goodness that we experience from you in this good life, this good creation, this good world that you've given us. We are so sorry for the way that human sin continues to mar it and uh, scar it and hurt people and then cause us to be so fearful and to feel so helpless. So I want to thank you today for the reminder that there is power to overcome evil in goodness. And I'm praying for somebody right now who says, Lord, I'm going to try that. Would your Holy Spirit breathe affirmation and confirmation to them? And whatever situation they're facing right now, that you are at work as a good God, doing good for your people so that your goodness can still make an impact in our troubled world. And friend, maybe you're connecting with us today and you sense that this is the day of your salvation. God wants you to open your life to him. Would you do it as we pray right now? If you haven't yet invited Jesus to make himself known to you, then join me right now. Jesus, I believe you are good. And I believe you are God in goodness. Come to forgive my sins. So please, Lord, forgive, cleanse me. Come into my life by the power of your spirit. And I am turning from my way that I might learn to go your way and allow you to lead me. Have your way, Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer as I make it in your name. Amen.